uh, when the time comes to slaughter them, I don't have to slaughter 50 chickens at once. I, I can go out and say, okay, I'll take, you know, five or six today. Yeah. And then I'll get us down the road a couple months or two or three months or whatever. And then I can go out and do, you know, five or six again. I don't have to do 50 at once uh, because they won't get so big and unhealthy. They can't live. And, and point being, I have a nice freezer that's big, but uh, do I, what's the best way to store a chicken alive? That's the best way to store a chicken. You know, you don't need mm-hmm. to freeze it, smoke it or anything. Keep it alive and, it, and it's good, right? Until you want to eat it. So, This is the Farm Hop Life Podcast, a traveling homestead family. I'm Matt DeRozier. Today, I have another Matthew joining me. Uh, we're going to have to fix that going forward. You're like the third one. Matthew Hamilton and his family have a small homestead in Southwest Missouri. He's a full-time tradesman. He has pigs, chickens, geese, fruit, and veg trees. Veg trees? That's not right. I'll fix that later. No. Close enough. (laughs) How you doing? Doing great, man. Feel good. Good. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for giving me your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I've never done a podcast, so this would be the first one. We'll, we'll see how it goes. You'll do just fine. You'll do better than me, and I'm hosting. So we're all in for a ride. Yeah, I'll do my best. So how did you get started homesteading? Uh, I guess maybe I started uh, getting into gardening. Uh, it's maybe maybe 10, 11 years ago. I, uh, I had a house i was renting with a couple of friends and we uh, it was just me and two buddies we uh, i was we were all single you know <clears throat> and i don't know really what it was at the time i didn't have kind of a a path in life yet and so uh, i was i was a line cook you know and i was working in kitchens and doing this and that bouncing around just kind of being a bachelor and I don't know what got into me. I think maybe I found this book. So uh, John Seymour, um, and the book is The Self-Sufficient Life and How to Live It. And it's an illustrated book, the one I got. <clears throat> and it's got all kinds of drawings. You, know, uh, there, you can see them all over the internet if you look it up, right? Like the five-acre farm, the one-acre farm, all of that. And it kind of gives you a... a a primer on what it might mean to have a small farm. And I saw that. I was like, you know, I really, I just like would rather grow food and not work and just have food and then a house and then not have to work, you know, and not need money. So it was kind of like a, that was maybe a beginning point. So we uh, borrowed a tiller from the neighbor and tilled the, Uh, the garden, by the way, in a terrible neighborhood, awful place, lots of crime, uh, loud, old neighborhood, you know, terrible drugs everywhere. But we had this cool place with it. Uh, Buddies, everyone was musicians. They played music. I lived there and uh, I was kind of in a 
phase between, you know, different points of my life. Uh, and so I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor. Uh, I didn't have a washer or dryer, so I washed all my clothes in the bathtub and I hung them outside on the room. And I found doing that, that I really only needed to have a very small amount of clothing uh, because it's too much work to wash too many clothes. That's true. And then um, we put a little garden in it and it did awesome. It was, it was really fun. Your little it place did, is zen amongst all this crazy craziness around you. Exactly. And it, and it was perfect. And then, you know, my friends and everyone here in town, we, uh, we had friends and they'd have parties over at the house. People come, Oh, oh it's a beautiful garden. No, that's great. And um, I put a little uh, tiny, uh, tiny hoop house there with some uh, plastic and PVC. Sorry. No, that's no problem. I was, I was wondering if the power at my place is going to go out too. <laughs> no, it's my wife tinkering with the, uh, with the power in here. Oh, but anyway, so so it, it was fun, and we were able to do a lot of different things, and we had a lot of people there, and it was honestly fun. To, you know, it was before I met my wife, and you know, we did have girls over there. Hey, look at my greenhouse over here. You want to come see my greenhouse? It's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and that was kind of a thing because she she got into that when uh, she came over, and. And that's kind of how we a, met. It's not a bad pickup line. It's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. And and uh, and so that was maybe the very beginning. And then things progressed. Um, we moved in together. Uh, we got a small uh, place in the city, and we had a small yard. And I started there with a shovel, and. I think maybe the entire backyard was like 8,000 square feet. Uh, and by the time I was done, it took a few years, but by the time I was done, the entire yard was turned over by a shovel. And then a little bit of gardening here and there. And then when COVID happened, um, we'd been planning to leave that place for a while. And that was a definite catalyst to leave town and get out into the country a little bit. And, get a little bit more land and where we could expand into animals. And so that's kind of where we are now. We, we, we've only been here. We haven't even been here two years. So that's the, that's the progress up until now. Nice. That's, that's a, that's a nice progression. Um, some people go crazy right away. Like I'm like, they, they get spooked by something and, uh, or something happens and they just all of a sudden are all in. Um, this is my new thing and nothing else matters. Just going to grow food like from zero to a hundred starting today. And, um, but that's a nice, that's a nice easy transition. So like you can, you know, make your mistakes as you go along and learn from them instead of make like everything be a mistake and not having time for everything. Like you've got a system set up like that's makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense to do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you want to go zero to a hundred. Um, yeah, you then, do. yeah. And then you try, you try to, and, and it's even something we struggle with uh, this, 
to this day, which is you want everything to be done right away and it can't, it can't be. It's one step after another. And, and, and I talk about that on Twitter a lot and you, yeah, you can't go, you know, we, we have big plans. We, we walk around the property, we look at it. It's like, okay, we want to do this down the road. We can't do that now, you know, and, and maybe even when we start to get discouraged about where we are at this point, it's like, Hey, last year, that, that was a pasture. Okay. This year we built something out of it. So it's, it's come a long way in a year, but it's not where it's going to be down the road. So. Sure. What motivates you to grow your own food? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit in the beginning, it was, it was just kind of like, let's try this. This looks cool. And also like, like I said, it was kind of an idea of, of, well, I don't really know where I want to go in life, but it would be really nice to just not have to be tied to a job and be able to grow as much as possible on my own and not, not have to depend on the money to purchase the food. Right. And so it, it, and these days it's maybe the, the motivations changed a little bit. I, I think maybe we're on a little bit of a downward spiral. So uh, I, you see people with a little bit more sense of urgency um, and I, I get people sending me questions often uh, about, you know, what do I do? What, you know, how do I get started and where do I, where do I begin? And, and so trying to find that, that pathway, um, I think now my motivation is more, how do I get as much uh, self-sufficiency and closed loops here? as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a big motivation. You, you can't depend on being able to go to the store and buy everything you need anymore. Uh, like you could maybe 20 years ago, you know, now, now, you know, and, and everyone saw maybe to, to, uh, uh, more or less extent during COVID, uh, where you go to the store and there's nothing there. And mm-hmm. I, I distinct, I distinctly remember, I mean, we, We'd been saving back food for a while, uh, but not crazy, but, but just, you know, a a reasonable amount up until that point, you know, and my wife always kind of thought I was a little bit crazy about that, you know? And then when, when the COVID lockdown started happening across the country, we, we ended up, you know, where I'm in the Missouri, you know, we were some of the uh, last ones, uh, but still, uh, when that happened, you know, it happened suddenly. And when it happened suddenly, it was like, oh, maybe you, I don't know, you were right. I'm glad, you know, we should have done that. Maybe we should have done more, you know. And and it all came kind of all at once. And I remember distinctly going to the grocery store for chicken uh, a few weeks later or whatever, however long later. And we, and, you know, make the grocery list and you put different things and we put maybe chicken, right? Didn't know what would be there, but we wanted some chicken. You go to the store and you go to the chicken section of the meat section. There's no chicken. None. There were, there were leg quarters. There were two bags of chicken leg quarters frozen. 
that's all there was, nothing else. So I say, I guess we're buying chicken leg quarters today. You know, that's it. And that's how it was. And people forget very quickly that that's how life was. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, it's, it's such a fragile system that that could happen anytime and you can't depend on it being there. So that's a big motivation. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, even providing food for your, for your chickens, for your pigs, whatever, um, part of your closed loop system, I'm assuming you're trying to work on, you know, being able to provide almost all of that feed on your own place or um, at least not having to go to the store for it. So. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely a long-term goal. Uh, I think so pigs and chickens are very high input animals. Uh, are chickens free range? And that helps a lot. Uh, but we still feed them. Um, and so I would ideally it would be, you just let the chickens free range all day and, and eat all their food they want. Right. Right. Um, and, and get their sustenance that way. And, and honestly, they, they might do that, but they're so used to me feeding them at this point. If they run out of feed, when I come home and I drive home up the driveway and then they all come, you know, they, they follow you everywhere. They follow me everywhere I go until I feed them, you know? So we're not at the point where we can do that yet. And then pigs, I'm new to pigs. This is the second year I've had pigs. Um, and uh, this year we've done a little, a little different. Um, the first year we had them in a little bit of overgrown uh, plowed fields. So uh, last year was our first summer on this property and I didn't have a garden. So we had a friend come and plow the field. Well, I was only able to get about half of the field tilled uh, and and planted or, or whatever. The other uh, half of it was just plow lines. Uh, and, and that became overgrown with grass, which I couldn't mow because it was so rough. You couldn't take a mower over it. So I had five foot tall grass out there and, and weeds and whatever. And we put our pigs out on that field. Uh, and we just two. Uh, two gilts uh, and let them go to town on it. And they, I was highly impressive. First time I ever had pigs. I had a friend who's a pig farmer. He raises and breeds pigs. And he kind of twisted my arm at the beginning of the pigs. I didn't really want pigs, you know. He's like, well, you can you know, get some pigs. I got some pigs from him, put them on that field, and they just tore it all the way down, took it to mud took it all the grass you wouldn't believe it i mean it was when i first put them out there it was five foot tall grass you could barely see the pigs by uh it was maybe early fall when i put them out there by december it was just mud you know uh and and so highly uh impressed with pigs and but that was the first year with that and we, we still fed them conventionally. It was the first year I bought bags of pig feed at the store. Uh, this year we started with piglets. Um, and 
I put them in a little pen next to the barn to begin with, gave them big feed uh, and corn directly off of weaning. And then after uh, maybe a month and a half on pig feed and corn, they went into the forest. I set up an electric fence in the forest and that's where they went. And to be honest with you, they eat way less in the forest. They dig for roots and forbs and whatever they eat. Sure. A lot of the diet comes from the forest. I think going forward, that might be a better plan um, to keep them in the woods. But, uh, but, but I think my future focus might be on more like ruminant animals because uh, pigs, chickens, they require a lot of input, but like you said, closed loops. Um, I don't want to need to buy feed off a farm. Uh, I want to be able to grow animals and get them fat and happy off of what I have here. And so that's why this year we're going to actually introduce sheep in the farm. Oh, nice. And yeah. And, and, and try to grow sheep, which is, I mean, my, my kids love lamb and which is surprising. They're very picky and lamb, you know, a lot of people, even Americans, especially talk to them about putting sheep out here. Okay. That, well, that's awesome. What do you, what do you want sheep for? It's like, well, yeah they're delicious oh yeah yeah lamb okay yeah that sounds good but um uh sheep and we recently uh got some geese and i'm a big fan of the geese too and and they'll just eat grass which grows for free you know so it's a huge motivation to try to transition that way where i can raise animals here for for free so do you have a breed of sheep picked out that you're going to get? Uh, yes. Uh, we have, we have a friend nearby who, uh, she raises Jacob sheep and, uh, Jacob sheep are, uh, an interesting breed. Uh, if everything I've heard about them and, and my experience with, with hers, they're really kind of wild sheep. Uh, they, oh weird, they're, yeah they're they're a piebald um, coat, so that's it's white with black spots, and they grow four to six horns, okay, and and people describe them as being like almost a goat, you know they're just kind of wild they're they're considered an unimproved breed. They do have very goat like horns. This is wild. I've never seen. I've never heard of this this breed before. This is crazy. Well, the the main reason why I think they would be a good fit for us is they're uh, kind of a little bit wild. Uh, and so they say that veterinary care is almost completely unnecessary. They don't have the same kind of foot or parasite issues that uh, your more domesticated sheep have. Right. And they uh, they forage well. And they almost always twin, and they never need trouble uh, help with lambing. Oh, nice! And so it's a sheep that you know. I mean, I've I've eaten Jacob sheep from from her farm, and and it tastes great. I mean, it, it's just as good. But they they uh, the meat is it's considered a dual purpose sheep because the meat is 
excellent and the wool is excellent. Hmm. I, we will likely won't use the wool, um, at least for any um, short term period of time, but the, the meat, yes. Uh, and it honestly, we, this property that we bought was neglected for decades. So we have a lot of brush and a lot of trees to clear. And so I think it might be maybe the ideal uh, animal for our application here um, to, to try to clear some of this out. And, uh, and I, I don't know. I mean, they're kind of ugly, but I don't think I, I don't so. Look, the first look, picture almost looked like, like a little cow, to be honest with you. I'm like, is that a cow with horn, like uh, sheep horns or like a little, I don't know. It was just, they're, they're goofy looking. It'd be kind yeah, of, I don't know, put a smile on your face if you saw them out on your property. Like, there's my, I don't know, woolly cows, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we cows, well, they're, they're just in, in, uh, on paper, you you go, okay, that sounds like a good sheep. But in any case, she, she has Jacob sheep and her neighbor is a breeder and they're, they're maybe 20 minutes down the road. So it, it just makes perfect sense. Okay. Let's get some and, and try it out. And then, you know, mm -hmm. maybe branch off. Um, I'm, uh, buddies with M Michael Thomas of Sharon on Twitter. Okay. And, and in any case, he, he's a orchard guy and he keeps Katahdin sheep and, and like hair sheep. Right. Mm -hmm. So the main difference being that a hair sheep will shed naturally without being needing uh, to be sheared. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the meat is supposed to taste better because being a hair sheep, they don't have as high of a concentration of lanolin in their mm -hmm. wool. Uh, which might give it that kind of mutton flavor. Right. Uh, and, but a tame sheep like that, you know, I might need to have tamer pasture before I can put uh, a, a tame sheep like that out here. So, uh, you know, we'll get, we'll get there down the road. He's, he, uh, he swears by the, the hair sheep. And so I'm, I'm intrigued in any way in, in either way. So I think they're a beautiful animal. Yeah, they're cool. I, um, I had looked at getting soe sheep and found a breeder near me and, you know, bought, bought some, uh, like bought one, sent it to the processor. My wife loved it. And she was like, a, she was very hesitant to try it. Um, she didn't before eating, like before meeting me, she did not eat meat like at all, maybe like chicken now and then, but like, you know, sure. our first, like, our first camping trip together, all I brought was steak because she didn't tell me she was vegetarian. <laughs> so she's, that that broke that pretty quick. But anyways, uh, um, yeah, she she loved the mild mild flavor of the soe, which is a hair sheep. Because if I was to get it, I don't want to shear it. And you know the there, I looked in. You, know, you talked about hoof rot. Similar thing here. Parasites. Same thing here. Easy lambing. Um, with sheep, yeah, they're cool looking. They're kind of like I think they're from Scotland. Um, that breed oh, is sheep. <laughs> What's that? Well, that's got to be my sheep. I'm Scottish, obviously. <laughs> they're cool. Look into them. Yeah, they're cool, uh, and it has the the mild flavor, and um, yeah, because with the wool, you it can 
it can trap moisture. Like I know it's supposed to like wick moisture or whatever, but it, it can trap moisture and like okay. cause like um, a couple of different like parasite issues. It can, but if this particular breed is a little bit more wild, like you're saying, um, it's possible that they'd be totally fine. Like if you're, if your neighbors don't have the problems of typical sheep, then I don't know why 20 minute, down the road would really make that much of a difference so no it really wouldn't and and this area of the country uh where where i am i'm in uh southwest missouri and this area of the country was traditionally uh sheep and poultry um like let's say the 1800s it was sheep and poultry uh it's a, a very uh i don't want to say mountainous but it's a very hilly region um, which is why the uh, term Ozarks uh, came to be. Uh, and I don't know how you say it in French, but Oarks, right? With, with hills. So uh, mm. yeah, it was, it's a hilly region. And I, I think people, it makes sense. People said, oh, this would be a great area to keep sheep, right? Sure. And so uh, it, it makes sense. But um, nowadays it's mostly cattle, you know, that's, that's mostly what we have cattle and, and, uh, commodity crops. So what kind of, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about your geese. Um, I thought about getting geese, like, uh, especially like the Toulouse geese, cause they're supposed to be like mm-hmm. fantastic cooking, but I, but then I read that they're crazy noisy and I was like, mm. <laughs> I don't, I don't even mm-hmm. have a rooster. For all my for all my hands, I don't I don't even have any roosters because I was just like, eh, we can we can keep it down. <laughs> How many chickens do you have? Sixteen. Okay, you need a rooster. Do I? Why? <laughs> yeah, you're, they're not that bad. the 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 hens like it a lot. The hens appreciate it a lot. Um, they just seem to be happier. We, uh, I, I, this might be maybe even the only the fourth third or fourth year we've had chickens uh we started with them in town we've only been here not even two years so i mean really i mean we started with a handful of chickens and uh and when we did it was just hens and then uh we got a rooster from a friend while we were still in town and weren't allowed to have roosters but we did anyway and no one complained. And in any case, he was very loud. But the hens seemed to appreciate it a lot. And then the big deal is being able to have the close loop. So with the rooster, um, we we have an incubator now. And we can incubate chicks. So we, we've raised this year. It was the first year we did a full run through the incubator of eggs. And my incubator is uh, small. Uh, it holds maximum 21 eggs um but when i loaded it this year i didn't check any eggs i wasn't very cautious but i just went and got 21 eggs out of the hen house and put them in the incubator and of that 21 i got 10 chicks hatched Mm. uh and so in any case having the incubator gives and the rooster uh gives you the opportunity to be able to hatch your own chicks uh, and then the goal 
I guess with poultry, that's a whole other issue we can we can go into detail with. But last year, I raised uh, Cornish Cross chickens for meat, uh, and we did uh, roughly fifty uh, chickens for meat. And the thing with Cornish Cross is they grow so fast, they get so fat, uh, and they need to be slaughtered all at once. Yeah, you really. You, you can't just let them live their life and, and, and get to it when you want to you, it, when it's, when the time comes, they, they have to go. And yeah, I raised them last year too. And they're just, they're just stupid, huge. Like something trying to get in and out of the chicken door. Sometimes they'd have to like go sideways to like get in. I'm surprised they even figured that out. They're so dumb compared. I mean, chickens are dumb anyway, but Cornish cross are just the dumbest creatures on earth. Like, I mean, I, you feel I, bad for them though, because they got all like these health problems, which is kind of weird that we raise them just to eat them. With if they got like health problems, like splayed leg and all this junk. Yeah, it's sad, and I even had—I mean, I think it was like three or four. I even had just drown themselves in their own water, just just died, just drowning, drinking water, you know. Uh, but. You know, on I mean, they taste great. They taste fine. And we we kind of did like a Salatin, like a Joel Salatin style uh, chicken tractor mm-hmm. uh, in the in the in the back pasture. And you know, I wasn't impressed with that method. For us here on a small farm, and we're only raising chickens for ourselves. It's like, man, you got to go out there every day. You got to move the pen every day. You know, or every other day, or whatever. But you got to move it a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, I mean, they're those those chickens compared to our egg layers. They're dirty. You know, they're just disgusting. Oh yeah, so, they're just constantly eating, constantly pooping, just yeah, yeah. messy, messy. Yeah. So so this year I said, okay, I want to do something a little different, and we we got uh, twenty dual purpose chickens and we got 25 of the red ranger uh meat. are those the ones that do dark meat or the uh, red rangers only dark meat chickens is that the i don't i don't think so i don't know i don't think so they're just uh, a different breed of uh, broiler chicken okay and then they la they take a, a few weeks longer than the cornish um and they're a little bit I don't want to say more wild, but they're a little bit where they can, you can let them live a couple of years. They're not going to get too fat to walk and live. They're, they're not going to die. Uh, they'll live and lay eggs and all of that. They just, they're just heavy chickens and they, they've been bred to be that way. But Cornish cross are basically, you know, pure meat chickens. You, you don't want them to, I'm sure, you know, you don't want them to get to a certain age and then they're just too fat to walk. You know, they're, they're worthless. Um, and so, and then the other deal is we've let them run with our egg layers free range. So instead of keeping them in the pens and moving them, you know, forget that they just go live in the hen house and run around with the other chickens. And the point of that is, uh, uh, a couple things. Number one, um, likely I can collect eggs from those and incubate them. Uh, number two, 
they have probably a better life than the Cornish did in their in their pens. Uh, number three, uh, when the time comes to slaughter them, I don't have to slaughter fifty chickens at once. I I can go out and say, okay, I'll take you know five or six today. Yeah, and then I'm gonna down the road a couple months or two or three months or whatever, and then I can go out and do you know five or six again. I don't have to do fifty at once uh, because they won't get so big and unhealthy they can't live. And and point being, I have a nice freezer that's big, but uh, do I? What's the best way to store a chicken alive? That's the best way to store a chicken. You know, you don't need mm-hmm. to freeze it smoke it or anything keep it alive and it and it's good right until you want to eat it so um i think it's all part of that loop now and i I mentioned the dual purpose chickens the point with that is the dual purpose chickens are like a heritage breed uh, meat chicken um you'll get plenty of eggs up until the point where they're ready for slaughter and so they're a much more adaptable chicken. And I think the point with that is to incubate those uh, and maybe uh, I'm going to experiment some crossbreeding there and see if we can't, you know, see what works best. But try to get a chicken that will be a good layer and a good meat bird, right? And and then go that way down the road. Because I don't want to be dealing with – I don't want to buy chicks from the hatchery, you know? Uh, it's cool when you start because you get all these exotic chickens. They look cool, mm. and they cool they lay cool eggs and all that. But having to buy from a hatchery means depending on someone else far away to send you chickens. You know, I don't want to. And do we that. all know how that went over the last two years, and it's probably still happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we then, all know. No, and this year too. I mean, with the quote unquote bird flu that's going on, you know? Yeah. What is it? 30 million chickens or I don't know how many this is. It's crazy. How many oh, they've, yeah. they put down because they claim they're, they're sick and no, I get it. It's like, you know, a handful of birds and your flock goes down and you have to kill the whole flock and on and on, but not here. I mean, I haven't lost one chicken this year. There's no, there's no bird flu out here, you know? So I, I don't know. I just know, Parting, part of closing that loop is I want to raise my own chickens and I want to not have to buy any anymore. And then maybe eventually mixing them all together, I'll get like a good chicken that can lay eggs, fend for itself and be fat enough to eat, you know? Yeah. So. Sure. That makes sense. What, um, talking a little bit about like your systems, uh, on your, on your homestead, what, have you tried that's worked well um planting a couple things together does like a specific vegetable or fruit on your property do better than some that don't or anything like that uh honestly i think i mean i've tried i've tried just about anything and everything uh but i think maybe what i would recommend to be what works well I like uh, raspberries. I like uh, fruit uh, fruit bushes um, because very little work 
for a very high value crop uh, and you, you you don't have to plant every year and they they just seem to do well in my climate maybe um, but that that's a big thing for me uh, at our old place we started with five raspberry bushes and it was unbelievable amount of fruit and a lot of work just picking, you know, but how, how nice is that? You just go out and pick berries. Yeah. And I, I don't know what else to say on that, on that issue, but um, trial and error. And, and you, I mean, it's probably all, con it's all context where, where you live, your climate, your soil. Um, Right. Berries, berries seem to do really well here. Uh, raspberries, especially. Uh, so good. I mean, what you buy at the store, it's okay. You know, even the organic stuff, it's good. But it's just like strawberries, too. Strawberries, we, we get good strawberries here. And you absolutely cannot get a ripe strawberry unless you grow it yourself. Uh, the ones you buy, you know, they're, they're not ripe when they're picked and they're, they're mm -hmm. ripe. Officially. And, and there's, it's right on the edge there where you can get a perfect strawberry. And, and maybe if you pick that perfect strawberry and you didn't eat it, you know, two days later, it's, it's too ripe. It's just gone. You know, mm -hmm. you really can't get that unless you do it yourself. So Right. Yeah. Berries. Berries do really well in this this soil. Uh, we have uh, kind of a heavy clay here uh, for the most part, but I want to say I want to call it like a good clay. And I don't know. If that's not really like a scientific term, but you have your clay that's very much mostly clay. Ours is clay, uh, which is dark and and with very little bit of compost becomes the best soil so i think berries i don't know it's just berries do berries do you make anything with them like uh meat or wine or jam or um freeze dry it we uh do jam i've tried uh dehydrating the berries uh, I'm not a huge fan of the dehydrated berries. Not great. The jam is great. Uh, and then we freeze them and, and use them later on. I haven't tried to make any sort of wine or, or anything out of them. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but uh, I think maybe our focus down the road is going to go to trees, fruit trees, um, and, and trying to do that and use maybe apples uh, for cider and things like that uh, in terms That'd be of awesome. Oh yeah. I think so. We, we have an orchard um, where I am in Missouri is also a, a pretty decent orchard area. We have a, a, a pretty large orchard uh, about four miles down the road, um, apples mostly, and then other other fruits. But uh, uh, they have peaches, and then uh, basically a pretty pretty popular spot for people to come from the city. 
and and get food. Uh, so I think here where we are, our old our farm used to be uh, a, an orchard and an asparagus farm. I think you know a long time ago they dug most of the rocks out of the soil and planted a lot of fruit trees. And I think we want to put it back to a lot of fruit trees. I think it'd be a, a good plan for this area. What's been the biggest challenge in homesteading that, uh, that you faced? Uh, I would say trying to learn everything without having been brought up with it. Right. Because we, we had a few generations there where, where people went from being connected to the land and growing and, and then now uh, removed and, and having to relearn all of these things. And, and, you know, a lot of it from books and, you know, on the internet uh, c compared to uh, just growing up in it. Right. That's, that's going to be one. Um, and then, you know, it just, it's expensive now. You know, I used to be able to do this kind of thing uh, for almost nothing, but now it's right. it's kind of a boutique thing. You know, oh, you're a homestead. So you have to, uh, you know, nursery tree. If you want to buy a nursery tree, you know, spend a fortune on it, you know. Oh, yeah. And and people used to graft and do all of that on their own. Um, so time money all of it i mean and balancing that with a full-time career where you're not this isn't my job you know it's just a thing i do for fun and i'm by no means an expert it's all i mean i'm still new to all of this and and um maybe have some useful insights for people who are are just you know don't know where they're starting uh, for, for sure, but but I'm not like the expert or anything on it. It's it's all new to me, uh, and and maybe you know even a lifetime. I don't know if a lifetime would be enough to to even be considered an expert on it, right? Because maybe it takes generations. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Um, I mean, you know, there's there could be like climate shifts like uh if you have like a certain weird like weather event you know a certain weird year or goes like spans multiple years where you know if you were like originally like zone 7 maybe it drops to like zone 5 that's sure. possible and all of a sudden whoa like none of my stuff's surviving or like a heavy pest year something i mean mother nature is always going to throw you a curveball when you got when you think you got it figured out, so sure we've we've had a, a couple uh, pretty bad drought years, uh, and and then this year uh, we've had just more rain than you could imagine. Uh, my my garden's been just a pond. I mean, for and now there, you know, we had a few dry, dry days. We had about a week of dry days, and I got some work done. And now they're they're forecasting another whole week of rain. So, jeez. We just have to deal with it, you know. I mean, it's yeah. it's a crazy year for rain, um, and you know our water table is pretty high where I am. So uh, when we when we do have rain, it's I mean, it, as as wet as it's been, when we get rain, there's puddles everywhere. I mean, in, in grass everywhere. I mean, 
it's, it's, the it's already saturated that it can't absorb anymore. Yeah, it can't go anywhere. So it's it's bad. But uh, yeah, weather's always a setback, and 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 well, and just time, right? If I had all the time in the world to be here, maybe it'd be a lot better. But sure, yeah, it's it's always a, a balance there, trying to find and having a family too with kids. Oh, yeah. spend time with the kids, you know, you can't spend all your time in the garden. So it's it's always a balance, and I I think we we find a good balance there, um, involving the kids as much as they will tolerate it. And then uh, growing enough, I'm not so obsessed with having like a better homes and gardens looking, you know, magazine, uh, vegetable garden. Um, it just has to produce food. Right. right. And I don't want to let weeds go to seed. And that's about it. You know, it, it can do what it wants to do. So this year, more than any, I think we've focused on long-term storage crops and calories. Um, years past, I've tried to do all different types of things, uh, partially for the experience and, and also uh, we enjoy it, right? Like nice romaine lettuces and, you know, butter head lettuces and all, all things like that. Uh, this year it's like, I'm growing potatoes and you know i'm growing things i know i can keep and, and and do well um because who knows right this year this fall it's going to be a unique year uh with the war going on uh russia ukraine you know that's i read and, and it may not be true but that's 20 percent of the world's calories right coming out of that part of the world hmm. so okay, may not directly affect us because we not we may not be buying that food, but whoever is, and then it, it just ripples across the world, you know, it ripples everywhere. Right. So when you, you have that going on, it's like, and then fertilizer coming out of that area of the world too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, now more than ever, is a good time to learn how to grow calories in your garden and, and potatoes, uh, corn, uh, things you can store, uh, uh, winter squash, uh, pumpkins, things like that that'll keep for months at room temperature. Yeah, right. that's good stuff to keep. Yeah. What's the best part about homesteading? Oh, all of it's great. Uh, having them. Great. Yeah, all of it's great. Having the food there, we just go out and pick something, and, and, and you have food for dinner. When when we eat a full meal at the table, uh, minus maybe a couple minor things, but it's like, okay, well, these potatoes came from here. This kale, this whatever salad, uh, the chicken, you know, all of this right came from right here. That's really nice. You know, makes you feel pretty accomplished does being a tradesman make you a better homesteader i think it does um you maybe just maybe not homestead 
on on the property there's all kinds of things need done you know and um whether it's machines what what i do uh, uh hvac mechanic so but more or less a mechanical trade right so i, I work with machines i fix machines and understanding electricity and understanding mechanics um, goes a long way. Uh, uh, welding, all of those things. If you have any sort of property, I mean, you have to be able to work with metal and fasteners and, and all of that stuff, right? Um, and so it it helps doing that and. Uh, with what I do, uh, mainly being service work, uh, you're solving problems, and sometimes you're solving them in a kind of like MacGyver way. Right. So you may not have everything you need, especially nowadays. Um, parts or materials, you, you you know, you might be out of out, you know, twenty weeks lead time on something, right? So you got to make it work now, right? And, and that's kind of maybe may the most useful thing is finding ways to make things work. I've, I've repaired, oh man, you know, up until now, I, uh, when, when we lived in town, I had a push mower, okay. A small yard. We could make that work. When we first moved out here, I bought a really cheap mower from a neighbor, uh, like just a lawn tractor. And that was a piece of crap, you know, and it was breaking all the time. And I, I swear every time I mowed it broke, is it's like okay, new nuts and bolts. Oh, I don't have that. No, I got to finish tonight. I'm not going to town to buy nuts and bolts. I'll just use bailing wire. I don't know. I'll figure out a way to make it work. And you do, and you have to. And of course, that's just cussing machines. But I just finding different ways to make what you have work. You know, and I think that translates both ways in the, in the trades and and even here. Um, it's it's uh, it's important to be able to solve problems creatively. So I think that that goes both ways. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. That uh, there's there's always going to be problems you encounter in your garden or with your animals or whatever whatever the situation that needs troubleshooting. And you know, doing service work you're constantly troubleshooting. Like literally that's your job is to troubleshoot. And so you are constantly exercising that part of your, like your brain. Um, okay. What's the problem? What's the solution? Could that be a different problem that would sure. require a different solution or, you know, and then, you know, just, <clears throat> so yeah, it's just, I think, I think that's a great, it's a great answer. Well, yeah, and, and can I fix it with what I have here? Or do I need to go somewhere? Do I need to right. go 30 miles out of the way to get what I yeah, need? Yeah, now that I have a solution, do I have what I need to implement it? Or do I need to come up with a roughly different plan like to make it work with what I what I have here? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, that goes a long way. And, and, uh, and then knowing people who know different things, like – um with what i do i can do electrical work uh and and i'm not licensed in any 
any way, shape, or form. But I won't tell anybody. <laughs> but I have friends like so. I have a friend I, I mentioned earlier who uh, is a pig farmer, and he he uh, breeds pigs and raises pigs and sells them. Uh, uh, and well, he's needed to work from me before, so I've gone and done things for him. And then having that skill uh, is a valuable skill that you can trade for what you might need. So, like with with him, I I don't think we've ever exchanged cash between each other because uh, he might need something done. I I go take care of that, and then it's like, well, okay, what do you want? Well, you know, I want you know some I want two pigs or whatever it is, right? You mm-hmm. trade one thing for another. Uh, you know, I think. I traded for laying hens once, uh, and and so it's like, yeah, give me some hens, you know, what do you have? And and so that comes in handy, and then being able to barter skill uh, for goods is way better than than currency. Oh yeah, uh, because because everyone feels like they got the better end of the of the deal. Um. And, you know, maybe someone gets the worst end one time, right? So, but then you have like that sort of, uh, that feeling that maybe, okay, maybe I owe him something a little bit, right? Because he did this and I just gave him that for it and that's not enough. So maybe I need to do this next time around, but you trade back and forth and uh, we've, if we had to put a dollar value on it, I have no idea where we would be. It, It but I feel happier not doing the dollar amounts because I feel like I got a better end of the deal. And I think maybe he does too. Sure. So, so the, the trades skills come in handy that way. Uh, and it's not even been that kind of thing. I mean, I, I put a, I borrowed a chicken plucker from someone once and put a motor on it uh, that, had failed in exchange for borrowing it. Okay. So it was useful to them to have a new motor attached to their plucker. Mm-hmm. And it was useful for me to be able to use it. Um, and I, I don't know who, who won in that exchange. I think we both won, you know? Yeah. Cause uh, plucking chickens by hand sucks. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah, it's we it's three times or four times as fast from from my experience using the plucker. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah so there's a uh, guy in Wisconsin that uh, holds the world record for uh, plucking chickens the fastest, and he can do it. He can pluck a chicken in like four point four seconds or something. I don't believe that. I think so. I think he. I I think I mean if that's your job, right? You got to get good at it. I think what he gets the scald like to the exact temperature and the uh, the dunk at a very specific time. So like all those feathers, he's like, you should be able to just like wipe your hand, like wiping water off a table. That's how okay. easy the feathers should come out. I've not, I've not gone that. No, I have not got that precise either, but it sounds nice. Doesn't it? Then it wouldn't be that bad. Four seconds would be great. Yeah, I do. Great. I do 30 seconds. That'd be fine too. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 
when you when you do your chicken plucker, is it a big drum or is it the one that like you gotta hold? It's like handheld. The the one that I used was a drum and it was a homemade uh, plucker. So oh, fifty five gallon drum and an old uh, washing machine. Uh, uh, basic basic like uh, what I want to say the frame like the hardware from it in the bottom of the drum and then uh, a pulley on the bottom of that attached to a motor with a belt and then um, just a bunch of those uh, little rubber fingers that go inside right? Um, and, and it, it was just a DIY rig with, with like a plywood frame so you can move it on a dolly easily and plug it in. And uh, he even uh, rigged it up to have a water rush in from the edges of the drum with some PEX pipe. Uh, so you could turn on water to it and then put the chicken in and then hit the switch, let it run, and, and it would do its thing. Uh, probably really similar to what you might buy in like a commercial stainless uh, uh, plucker. Right, um, but he just made it himself. Uh, if I were to do it, and uh, buy, if I wanted a plucker, I would honestly buy buy one. I would buy, I would spend the money on it, um, because his was great. But being homemade, uh, it would occasionally, if you put a couple chickens in there, I do, I would do two at a time in it. Uh, they would occasionally have a wing or a leg get caught in the very edge hmm. and and then they would get stuck and then you'd have to break their they'd break their leg or their arm or whatever in the in the drum hmm. and and that was not ideal right and I think maybe a more uh, commercially made one would work better sure. uh, but you know, it's either that or doing it by hand. I don't, I don't know if I'd even spend the time to do a homemade one unless I don't know, but, uh, by hand won't ever break. Let's put it that way. If you, if you can learn how to do it by hand, well, that's not going to break like a machine would. So that that's your best, best bet. It's, it's something I say, all the time I'm, I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to machines so um i, I do heating and air work uh mm -hmm. for but i tell people all the time you absolutely need wood backup for heat i mean you you have to have a wood stove or a fireplace or some kind of way to burn wood as a backup for heat uh, because it will never break I have a wood stove. It, it wasn't expensive. It, I I put it here. It could sit. I could die. My house could sit empty for two hundred years. Someone could walk in here, put wood wood in there, light it, and it would heat the house. It won't break as long as you have wood. You're good, you know. And and, and things like that that are not fragile systems. You know, you become an excellent plucker like that guy with four seconds, you're going to be fine. You know, a machine is always going to break. It doesn't matter how well you maintain it. Over time, it's going to break. So finding that, that kind of balance, I think, for now, while 
these things exist. I'm going to use what I can while, while learning to use the other, the uh, non-mechanical way of doing it. And, and then when the time comes, maybe when, when I can't rely on a machine or a part or, or a supply chain or, or anything, then we'll be okay. Right. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, there's going to come a time where it's not going to work and it's going to be when you need it most. You better know how to do it. If you need it that second, better know how to do it without. So, uh, yeah. Wrapping up here, what would you tell people that want to get started? You said at the beginning that a lot of people come to you and ask you, like, how do I get started? Um, what do you, what that's, by the way, that's awesome that people come to you that, uh, you know, they're, they're wanting to get started. That's super encouraging that, um, that more people want to get into it. What do you tell them? Uh, my, well, since I started with gardening, I, I usually recommend start with a garden plot. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of John Seymour, like I, I mentioned originally. So uh, his, his books, uh, I, I have a few, maybe not the best technical uh, book for how to learn how to do things but very inspirational okay uh, they they look good they make you excited about wanting to do it um, I usually say start with a, a small vegetable garden maybe 10 by 10 or 20 by 20 uh, just to figure it out and and just grow grow things that are easy and things that you you like uh, and and pay attention just pay really close attention to how it's doing what it's doing uh it, keep your eye on it every day water you know pay attention and and that's that's a number one and number two in terms of animals chickens they're the vegetables of the animal world they don't like you they don't they don't care about you they they're afraid they they run away from you you don't have to really pay attention to them as long as they have food and water they they're fine so you can walk away from them if you have a small yard in most small town cities most whatever you can have a handful of chickens in the city limit so it's uh and it's it's protein okay so that's even if you're out in the country and and you are on some land chickens start with chickens it's protein every day eggs you know mm -hmm perfect protein uh and you can kind of get in the habit of caring for livestock and since chickens don't give a shit about you uh then i i'm a i have an affection towards chickens but also i can detach myself from that right uh because they don't like you it's not like a dog or like even certain uh, livestock, like a goat or something, that, like you know, they like you. They're like dogs, you know. They they like come to you. They look at you. You know, they they want to be interacted with. Chickens don't care about you, <laughs> so it's a good animal to start with. Uh, and it's protein. It's daily protein. And worst case, if you absolutely had to. You 
could eat your chickens, your mm-hmm. egg layers, uh, in, in, in the worst case scenario. So that's a very good start there. Uh, a small garden, um, you know, man, like what everybody, like boom, what every boomer grows, like tomatoes and some peppers and, you know, a simple, basic garden uh, vegetables mm-hmm. uh, will teach you a, a ton. And that, that, all of that is a good place to start, but it's also a way to learn what you like and what you don't like. Uh, and, and so, uh, paying attention to what vegetables do well, which ones you don't like to grow. I mean, which ones didn't work out well for you. It's all a good beginning step. And then from there, um, it's the same, same thing with like people have asked me uh, as well, you know, what do I, how do I get started in the uh, trades? Uh, well, you pick a project that you would like to accomplish, then I don't know, go like Google it. Like how do I drywall, right? Or, or just something, right? Very right. basic. Uh, look it up, watch, watch videos for half an hour, uh, figure out what tools and materials you might need to buy and just do it. You, you, you learn so much from doing it that that's all I can tell you to do. Just do it and then, you know, come back. If you got more questions, come back later. Just get started doing something and, and you'll learn from that. Yeah. A lot of people like read too much before they get started. Like I talked to somebody and they said that they read about how to keep chickens for a year and a half before they bought a chicken. And she's like, I wish I just got the chicken first and like learned as I went, but I don't think that was her personality type to just jump into something and then like learn about it, like as you go. But even she would say, I wish I had just jumped into it and learned as I went instead of trying to consume as much as I could about like chickens before, like you're going to learn way more as you go, like the actual experience instead of, you know, reading all these books. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you'll enjoy it in the process more than um, absorbing the the knowledge from the books. And I found too, you know, I'm uh, a lot of animals like, well, uh, from, from having kept chickens and then from looking at things online about chickens, um, I've had a couple of chickens get sick. Uh, with some kind of, I don't know, I don't even know to this day what it is, but it's something that uh, makes one side of their head like an eye or like a nasal, like a swell really badly. Mm. They get sick, they quit eating, they lose weight, and then I, they either die or I put them down, you know. I've had that happen a handful of times in the last couple of years. That's so weird. <clears throat> It is weird. I don't know what it is. I've, I've tried to nurse them back. I actually nursed one back, um, isolated, uh, isolated the chicken, and and it, and and it got better. But in, uh, in any case, if you having having kept them for a while, then looking at things online about it, I mean, it's so much geared towards like a like a homeowner with like a pet. Okay, so. 
They'll tell you all of these things that might be wrong and we'll go to a vet and get these medicines and, and on and on. And some of that is useful, but that's not where, where I'm trying to go with it. And so recently uh, when we got geese, I was trying to look up some and asking people uh, on Twitter and all of that, you know, some basic uh, things about geese. If you look up information on the internet, you're going to get some like kind of boutique, like uh, uh, blog, uh, fancy, like pet geared information. Because they hit all the right keywords in in Google. They know how to manipulate the Google search results so that theirs is on the first page. And that's why that shows up. Yeah. Well, 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 that may be it, and it, it, it might also be like a. Uh, that's what most people want is that that's they they want to dote over their geese like they would over a dog, or whatever. Where it's like, well, you know, you need to have your you know, you need to have your dog to the vet every month, and you know, get your heartworm medicine, and on and on. Uh, where whereas, uh, you know, I want a goose who is like, well, what do you, what's your bare minimum to be happy? Okay. Where you're going to be happy on the bare minimum. And then, you know, I want you to be happy and healthy, but I'm not going to be like all of the little details that they want. I I mean, you can see it with chickens uh, more than geese because chickens are more common. Well, they need a dust bath, you know, build a little dust bath and, and uh, you know, like Pinterest type type, you know, mm. oh, I made this uh, really cool playground for my chickens, you know, and all of it's interesting, but it's so unnecessary. They, they're they wild animals. If they have access to the woods and, and a bunch of open grass, they're going to be happy. You know, they'll sure. find they'll find places to dust bathe and and and, and on and on. And so. Uh, yeah, guess what? They scratch and they scratch a lot. They will dig holes in like the toughest dirt that I have and oh, yeah. just like fluff themselves up, get their dust bath. And they'll, I got like potholes all over the chicken run just uh, just for them doing that. And it's like, I kind of wish you wouldn't do that, but um, I'm also not going to stop you either. So mine do the same. They do it in the gravel driveway. You know, and then I never got <laughs> that's annoying. It, it's the work, and and then the only time it really bothered. So I've I have the entire vegetable garden fenced off from chickens at this point, so they can't get in there. Uh, but they'll get. We have a little herb garden uh, right up by the back door, and they'll man, they'll get in there. They'll scratch it up. You you have to put transplants in there. You can't try to direct seed anything. I mean, it's just gone. You know. Um, but so much of that knowledge, like we were talking about, is you learn from experience. So if you try to uh, absorb information from books or online or books even, uh, you're going to get a bunch of kind of boutique kind of uh, um, cutesy type of knowledge about chickens or geese or yeah. or whatever. Uh, the real knowledge comes from keeping the animal, paying attention. Is the animal happy? Do they like this or, or, or do they not? And, uh, and going from there. And then, and then the other thing is just 
trying to find people uh, who have more experience than you that you can depend on uh, to ask questions. Hey, you know, I had with, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief, but with the pigs, you know, I had pigs uh, for the first time last year, never, never done it before. And I've mentioned my friend who, who's a pig farmer and, you know, I had the pigs get, get out one day uh, through the electric fence the the charger went out or, or, uh, so, and, and so they got loose and I'm like, Hey, do pigs come back? If they get out, like, do they get hungry? Do they come back home or That's what do I do? You know? And he's like, uh, probably not do <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like, well, I got to go get these pigs. Oh, man. And I, I spent three, four hours on a Saturday morning chasing pigs through the woods and, you know, I got one back and then the other one, I couldn't find her. I looked forever, couldn't find her. I was so bummed out. I came home and, and she was in a pen right by the barn. She like found her way into the barn, into a little pen and was sleeping. Like, oh God, okay. <clears throat> Stuff like that where uh, you don't know and someone else does. And he's like, yeah. okay, pigs, they're not afraid of you. You can't rope a pig. Uh, I tried. Uh, you can't rope a pig. Dang. Well, you can rope a pig. I roped a pig. You can rope a pig, and you can keep the pig from moving. But you can't move the pig. You know, you can just keep them stationary. Okay, so just so you know. But uh, that... Uh, that is super useful. Having people you can ask questions. I'm always open to DMs or or, or whatever, and and uh, uh, I'm not being afraid to do that. I mean, no no one who does this kind of thing cares to. I say that most people who do this don't care to tell you. Yeah, okay, do this. Don't do this. You know, here's what I do. Try this first. I don't know. And so that that's your biggest resource is yeah number one doing it yourself, but also having people to ask questions. You know, is this normal? Should should this be happening? Whatever. I think that's your best best path. So, um, where can people where can people ask you questions and uh, follow you on on Twitter? And is that is that the only place that you're active? Yeah, it's the only place. That, yeah, that's it. You are. Oh my gosh, I didn't. I I failed. I don't have it hooked up or pulled it's, up. It's at Watchman underscore motto M O T T O. Okay. Got gotcha. I will have a link for that in the show notes. Um, if you got a couple minutes um, after, uh, I'd love to ask you a couple more questions if, that, if that's cool. But if you got to no go, problem. that's fine. All I right. Um, well, I appreciate your time and uh, talking with me tonight and uh, appreciate everybody listening. And yeah, catch you next time. Hey, thank you. It was great. Fantastic interview. You can tell Matthew's very mindful about how he goes about things, being careful with his decisions, and probably makes fewer mistakes that way. But at the same time, he's out there pushing hard to get stuff done. Thanks for watching, everyone. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, and most importantly, share the video. 
Check out our website, farmhoplife.com. You can sign up for our email list or Telegram channel there to be notified when new videos, interviews, and podcasts are available. Send me a message at farmhoplife.com slash contact or email me anytime, matt at farmhoplife.com. It all ends up in the same spot. I'm always looking for new people to interview. If you'd like to come on to talk about homesteading, farming, food security, homeschooling, regenerative agriculture, alternative building methods, or anything else, pitch it to me farmhoplife.com slash guest. Go feed yourself.